District of Conservation is sponsored by CFACT. To learn more about our sponsor, head over to CFACT.org. Thank you so much for listening. Welcome to District of Conservation. I'm your host, Gabriella Hoffman. This podcast offers a sober examination into all things hunting, fishing, shooting sports, energy, environment, and the public policy surrounding it. And this podcast also specializes in original interviews that you won't hear elsewhere. Here's what I have for you today. I'm joined by Sue Tidwell, a newly minted best-selling author and fellow POMA member who is, interestingly enough, a non-hunter, is going to join us today on the podcast to talk about her groundbreaking book, self-published book, by the way, Cries of the Savannah, and what Africa meant to her, tagging alongside her husband, who is a hunter, and how her trips there impacted her thinking on wildlife conservation, especially from a non-hunting perspective, and to understand the conservation model that happens there. And for those of you who are listening and don't know anything about Africa, Africa has a very interesting model, a lot of very anthropomorphized species here in the States are often having to be culled and managed. It's a very different system here. Somewhat, it attracts a lot more controversy. And I think Sue's way of tackling it from her book, which I just finished and was able to lend some reviews to, I think it'll really change a lot of non-hunting perspectives mind. It's not just the hunt, it's a lot more. And so we're really thrilled to have Sue come on and talk about her book, why it's gotten so many accolades and how it's changing hearts and minds on this very interesting conservation model that we find outside the United States. And you don't have to be a hunter to really take into account kind of the points that she makes. And I think you guys will like what she has to say. Really unique perspective. And it's been a joy getting to know Sue this last year. So here is my interview with Sue Tidwell. I hope you guys enjoy it and connect with her and purchase her book, of course. We're joined by Sue Tidwell, a now four-time award-winning writer in the outdoor space, who is the author of Obviously, the best-selling book now, Cries of the Savannah. She is a non-hunter, but is sympathetic and very much understanding of wildlife conservation. So, Sue, we've been going back and forth, and now you finally get to come on my podcast and talk about the book and, and your advocacy. Really thrilled to have you. Well, thank you, Gabriele. I'm thrilled to be here. Could you give my listeners a little bit on your background and what propelled you to write the book, especially as a non-hunter? Sure. Um, you know, I did grow up in a hunting family and a bunch of deer hunters in Western Pennsylvania. So I understood hunting and, and understood its conservation benefits in a general sense from America's standpoint. But I ended up marrying a hunter. But when my husband wanted to go to Africa, it just hit me in an entirely different way. Um, and I'm just no different than many Americans. Many Americans look at Africa species totally different than American species. And I was one of those people. And I um, had a real hard time with the idea of Rick hunting some of those animals. But, you know, I love adventure. I love travel. So I put on my, my big girl pants, I like to say, and I went to the Tanzanian bush. And But the crazy thing is, is after being with boots on the ground, we were in a really remote, remote area. Um, like the nearest village was even four hours away. And we had 21 people taking care of us. And you know, I had lions roaring outside the tent and hyenas and a hippo moved into the puddle beside us like 20 yards away. I mean, it was just an amazing experience. But as I got to know the people of Masimba camp and have these boots on the ground experience, I totally changed my viewpoint. I totally understood 
why hunting is so critical to the people of um, Africa and also the ultimately the wildlife itself. So, you know, I had made a good friend with um, Lillian. Uh, Tanzania always puts a game scout with every um, hunting party to make sure everything's legal and documented. And our game scout happened to be a female, which was really pretty cool. And she was 23 and so pretty good English. And her and I just really hit it off. And she taught me so much. She's not affiliated with the hunting party in any way, but she taught me so much about poaching and human wildlife conflict and all kinds of things. But um, I made her a promise at the end of the trip that I would try to help people like me understand. So the book just kind of evolved from that promise. I had no idea what I was getting myself into, but that's how it happened. <laughs> yeah, you featured her and a bunch of other fantastic cast of characters and really dove deep into the locals there and how much they appreciate people coming, whether to do hunting or eco tours, really understanding their way of life, kind of the misunderstandings of wildlife conservation there and how that type of model helps up uplift them economically, keeps their people employed, uh, helps prevent dangerous animals from trampling on their villages, and just kind of helps keep a balance there. And I have personally, even as a hunter, I have no desire to hunt any of the big five. It's just not my cup of tea. I similarly understand the management, but you dive deep into explaining that even though you're not a hunter, and even though your husband was trying to pursue some very, very beautiful species that are often anthropomorphized, uh, given and assigned animal qualities, largely Disney-like qualities there. And so what was it like juggling with that? You mean like the emotional part of it? Um, yeah. Um, like yeah, how, do you, I, how do you reconcile, obviously, the difficulty of these beloved animals having to be harvested? Well, you know, I don't, I don't want to say it ever really gets easier. I mean, and it's, I'm no different than any hunter. Most hunters, most hunters, they feel all kinds of remote emotions when an animal's harvested. You know, they feel excitement, remorse, guilt, um, sorrow. I mean, there's just this whole host of emotions. And so I still go through that every time. But the thing that gets me is I feel so strongly now that the sacrifice of a few males, well-managed males at the end of their lifetime, time, I feel that it is ultimately so much better for the species as a whole and for habitat protection that I, I accept it. You know what I mean? Does that, does that make sense? Yeah. So, it, I mean, it's not that I still don't get teary eyed and, and some animals just hit you tougher than others, um, you know, depending on the situation. But um, I, I just, I can reconcile my feelings with the fact that I, I know ultimately it's, it's for the better good. Yeah, and that's a point you communicate throughout the book about how you can reconcile your feelings with knowing that when that management system is placed, you're only taking what they're encouraging hunters rather to take is a small number. And it's not an easy thing to procure. The licenses are very expensive. I think people don't understand that. It's also not easy to hunt them, from my understanding, having talked to people who've gone to Africa as well. So it's not like hunters are coming in, they're just wiping out every species imaginable in their path. They are very selective on what animal to take. You mentioned how your husband was very selective, even declining to take certain species, iconic African species, because it was not the right ethical shot. And so I think other non-hunters maybe could see through your lens 
that that's the reality. It's not you're going in and you're taking away Simba or you're getting rid of elephants for no reason. You know, it's so funny. Americans have this misconception. You know, I watch too many National Geographic, you know, so you see the lions getting a zebra and the tourist bus go by and every, all the animals just standing there as you're going by and taking pictures. And that's what we visualize. But hunting areas are not like that at all. I mean, like I have m- most of my pictures of animals are actually the butts disappearing into the into the brush because you know they don't stand around it's it's hard it's it's a hard hunt it's nothing like i imagined and like i said there are very strict guidelines on the what animals you're allowed to take and you know they want them to be past breeding age if any way possible so anyway yeah there's so much more to it than what we think but you weren't just describing the hunt you were describing Obviously, hence in the title, Cries of the Savannah, you were hearing the different sounds and, and admiring yeah. the sights. It wasn't just about the hunt, accompanying your husband and others in your party to go hunting. You were really diving deep into the all-encompassing nature of hunting trips or going on safari. Similarly to what people do here in the United States, we have our own type of safari. We go backcountry hunting or fishing or do something similar, but in a slightly different vein, of course. But you were admiring and chronicling everything that was happening, not just the hunt about the wildlife you saw that crossed your path, (laughs) some interesting encounters you had. So it was, it was all encompassing. It wasn't just about describing the hunt. Is is that a key takeaway from the book to recognize? Yeah, that's what I want. You know, it's kind of weird. Like I, I, like I said, this is my first time book. And so I really didn't know what I was doing when I started, but I kind of knew instinctively that because I want hunters to enjoy it. So I want them to enjoy and read it, but then I want them to share it with the people in their life who don't understand hunting. So I knew to get those kind of people, it had to be about the whole picture, you know, Africa and the people and the amazing experiences and the adventure. And quite honestly, I was, I was just captivated by it all. So to me, it wasn't just about the hunt anyway. It was about the people I met. It was about their way of life. It was about that wildlife we interacted with. It was just about so much more than the, you know, the hunt. So that's what I try to do in the book. I try to incorporate all these things. And, you know, it's, it's pretty amazing because one of my favorite um, reviews I got from a hunter was that, um, what do you say? Fantastic job. I don't know how Tidwell did it, but she wrote a book that I can share equally with my hunting buddies and equally, equally with my mother. So that's a pretty cool compliment that, um, you know, that because a lot of non-hunters actually really like it too. Once you get them to read it, that's the key. What has been the general response from readers, especially non-hunters who take a gander at the book, read it and give their feedback to you? What has been the response in your opinion to the book? Most of the time, or at least the ones I hear from are, it totally changes their perspective. Um, I hear things like, you know, I don't look at the mounts on the wall with disgust anymore. I heard that from a group of realtors in Seattle, actually. Um, you know, they used to go into a house and, and wrinkle their nose. Now they say, I look at that animal, know the work and the time and the respect that goes into it. And I look at it as a memory now, um, you know, and I, I hear that kind of thing a lot. So, you know, and a lot of non-hunters are just, just amazed, actually. I even, from... One woman said, I had no idea animals acted that way, which really kind of cracked me up because we have such a, you know, such a romanticized view of animals a lot of times. But but the key was, so it's really well taken by the non-hunting world, the ones that I've got to read, and women and men. And um, 
So that is so encouraging. But the, the problem with the book is they aren't going to just, from what, like when I talk to these um, groups, these um, book clubs and stuff, I ask, now, would you have picked, would you have read this book if it hadn't been the book club pick? And most of those non-hunters say, no, I would have never thought to pick this book up because they're turned off as soon as they see hunting. So that's why I'm so like, I just want hunters to enjoy it for the adventure and then pass it on to somebody in their life or share it with somebody that they know or tell somebody, you know, talk about the book and get the non-hunters reading it. So anyway, that's my goal. (laughs) And what has been the response among the outdoor industry? I know a lot of groups and individuals, high profile people have been sharing and, and singing your praises and also that of the book. So what has been the response from the hunting community too? Um, all in all, it's been a great response from the hunting community. Uh, you know, I just got an email the other day that somebody reached out to me on, um, he had heard about it on another podcast. Anyway, he reached out to me on through my website and he said, every word of every sentence of every paragraph of every page took me back to Africa. Please write another book. So, I mean, to me, those words just mean so much to me. And, you know, if somebody else compared me, um, one of the hunting blogs put my book on the 10, 15 most African hunting books he recommends. So I'm up there with Rourke and Capstick and um, Robertson and all of them. I mean, it's pretty cool to be put on a list with the 15 um, recommended books of Africa. So it's, it's pretty cool being a woman and the only non-hunter too on that list. That's terrific. And what are future plans? Do you plan to do like a sequel or maybe cover American or European hunting similarly, Uh, or do you want to branch away from that or still stick with the conservation beat? Well, right now my husband would kill me if I wrote another book, because (laughs) like I said, we had no idea what we were getting ourselves into. This was just, like I said, no, as you can imagine, no publisher really wanted to touch me. You know, I was a first time author. I was a non-hunter and a woman writing a book about hunting. So um, you can see why people weren't real, you know, jumping up and down to take me on. But um, luckily, I figured it all out. And I did the self-publishing route. And I just did lots of research. And I got her done. And it's being well received. But I, if I can get past this first year, I could probably write again about Africa, because I am just, um, oh, I'm just in love with Africa. I mean, it just grabs your heart and it doesn't let go. And there's just so much to be said. It wouldn't be as, you know, I mean, I would do the same type thing, probably just weave a little conservation in amongst the the um, the uh, adventure. But I've been to Namibia because we were supposed to go only once. That was supposed to be our once in a lifetime trip. But you can never go to Africa once. I'm just warning everybody. And um, so we've been to Namibia since. And we've also been to Mozambique. And so everything I have learned since just really um, concretes everything I learned the first time. I mean, it's just amazing. So if I, if there's going to be another book, I'm sure it'll be about Africa. <laughs> That's great. And what do you want people to take away from the book? Because we want to direct people to buy the book rather than you divulging all the books in a row's details. What would you say would be perhaps a few key t- takeaway points? from reading your book and why people should buy the book? Well, first of all, I want people to know it's a fun adventure. I mean, it's, um, it's like you're, I want people to go on the trip with me. I want them to fall in love with Africa with me. So 
I take them on this adventure. I introduce them to these fantastic people and characters that I meet, people with 35 brothers and sisters and five husbands or five wives, you know, I mean, just interesting, interesting characters. I introduce them to the culture. So it's, it's, it's not just a hunt. It's just not conservation. It's just a little bit of everything. And I just kind of weave the conservation in among um, the adventures and my, what I learned about Africa. But all in all, I just want people to fall in love with Africa and I want them to fight for it. And when I say fight for it, I don't mean they have to get up and down and actually literally fight. I just mean if you hear someone talking about how terrible big game hunting is in Africa, then tell them, you know what? You really don't understand. There's a lot more to it than that. I mean, I just want them to defend Africa and defend because um, it's so critical to the people there and so critical to the wildlife and preserving habitat. So I just want people to, um, to you know, fight for Africa in whatever way they can. What organizations have honored the book thus far? Obviously, POMA is one of them. We presented you with an award for publishing the book, of course, which was fantastic. And then since then, you've gotten several more. So which I've other got, accolades have you gotten? Read- I've got the Reader's Favorite Gold Medal Award um, in the animal category. I've got the Wildlife Society's Conservation Education Award. I'll be presented that in November. And then um, I've got the Kindle Book Review Nonfiction. I'm a semi-finalist right now in nonfiction. And then the finalists will be announced in October 1st and then the winner in November 1st. So right now I'm just a semi-finalist. So I'm still waiting to hear on that. But that's the Kindle Book Review. So. those are the awards I've gotten. And I've been in Sports Afield. Um, Diana Roop, editor-in-chief of Sports Afield, loved the book. And she did a page on it in Sports Afield. And lots of other magazines have been really great about, you know, putting reviews in it or, um, you know, little blurbs about it. So, and I'm just keep trying to reach out to others and get it, get in front of as many people as possible. And going into self-publishing, I know that is very difficult. I've had some clients who've gone into self-publishing. And it's even kind of a murky territory a little bit, even in the conservation space. A lot of people love to go with established publications. Uh, Some people are bold enough and they create content on their own. But to anyone listening who works in the conservation space, would you recommend them going the self-publishing route? Or do you recommend they rather go through maybe a more established route, working slowly but surely to build up their way, or maybe having a hybrid approach? Um. You know, I don't know if I'm the right one to ask because I'm certainly not an expert, but I would maybe go the hybrid approach just because like what I'm actually going to do now, now that I've got some awards and I got great reviews and got such support, I'm actually thinking about reaching out again to publishers because they can get it in this, their marketing can get it so much further than I can. And um, I just feel it's such an important book. So I want to get it out there. So as far as to other people, um, you know, it's, it's just hard. The, the publishing world is hard. So if you can get a traditional publisher to do your work, Hey, go for it. If you can do that. Um, but you know, um, th- there's trade-offs in each thing. So, um, you, yeah, cause uh, I don't know. I don't even know where to start. I would bore pe- people to death if I went into the whole thing, but, um, yeah, I'd say if they can get a traditional publisher, I'd probably go for that. But um, if not, the self-publishing world is available. And there's so much um, uh, data out there of sites to help you now. 
So um, that's where I did all my research was on the internet. So that's how I figured it all out. Kind of with your immersion in conservation, going along different hunting trips, would you ever uh, muster the courage to possibly go hunting yourself or you're still kind of uneasy about it yourself? You don't mind the meat and the byproducts, but you wouldn't do the, the kill shots or anything of that sort. Are you open, more open-minded you know, to that? Um, I'm really mixed on that. Um, p- part of me would love to, because I would, I can, I can see how empowering, I, I know that sounds maybe stupid, but how empowering that would be to, to have that capability. I mean, I go with Rick on all his hunts. So like we just got back from an elk hunt. So I'm riding the 15 miles on a horse ride with him. I'm climbing over logs. I'm doing, I'm doing all the stuff that he's doing. I'm just not pulling the trigger. But so I get the full experience, basically, other than that last part. So right now, I'm happy enough with that, that I'm in the wilderness. I'm in these the environments of these um, wildlife, and I get to experience it along with him. Um, and I'm not saying I'll never do it. Um, I, 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 there's a part of me that really wants to, but um, there's a part of me still hesitant. So I don't know. We'll see where that goes. <laughs> And you don't have to make a decision. I wasn't trying to press you on no, that, no, but okay. I was just curious just to see, you know, has it kind of reshaped your opinion and you don't need to ultimately to, if you don't feel comfortable, you don't have to follow through with kind of this ask, but I was just curious to see that. And, you know, I think people's minds do change. I've, I've known and read anecdotally about a lot of people, not in your position, but vehemently vegan, formerly vegan anti-hunters who completely flip the board and they go into hunting because they see that it's, you organically sourcing meat and being closer to the food that you procure rather than going simply to the grocery store. So yeah, your trajectory would be interesting, but Hey, if ultimately you decide not to, it's totally fine too, because we appreciate your perspective, Sue. Between you and me and now all your podcast listeners, there's a part of me that worries that if I did start hunting, am I going to take away from the premise of the book? So, and I am, I am so um, passionate about, wanting people to understand how important hunting is. I mean, I'm just, I just really want people to get it. And so there's a little part of me is afraid that I will take away from that. Mm. But, um, and, and as a, until I decide what I'm going to do right now, I still get to experience the whole thing with Rick. So <laughs> that's good. That's good. Sue, where can everyone follow you, connect with you, learn more about the book and ultimately purchase it list all the different appropriate links. Okay. Well, um, on Instagram, I'm Sue Tidwell dot writer on Facebook. I'm Sue Tidwell and I'm not on the other ones. Those two are enough for me to handle right now. And, um, cries of the Savannah is on, um, Amazon. So, um, I don't have it on the other outlets yet right now. It's just Amazon, or you can reach out to me, um, through the email or my website. Oh, my website is, uh, Sue Tidwell also www.suetidwell.com. So, you know, my email is on there and everything, but yeah, if you want a signed copy, you can just send me some people like signed copies. So you're welcome to reach out to a DM or something for that as well. Fantastic. We'll include all those links appropriately in the show notes for everyone to take a look and possibly connect with you there. Sue, it's been such a pleasure. I know we were going back and forth and pardon my busy schedule. Normally I'm much more keen on being more timely with it, but my travel schedule caught up with me, but better late than never. I think fall time is actually a good time for people to digest new material. Anyway, we're getting listeners back who have maybe fallen away from the summer. I am grateful to have you here on the podcast. Thank you so much for joining. Oh, thank you so much for having me. I really enjoyed being on here and 
I'm always happy to talk about Africa. So thanks, thanks a lot for the opportunity. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. If you haven't already, make sure you find us on your preferred podcast player. We largely circulate on Apple, Spotify, and countless others, but those are our two big podcast platforms we want to push. Make sure you're subscribed there, especially on Apple. If you like the podcast a lot, go leave us some reviews. We'd be more than grateful to get some five-star reviews from you guys. Moreover, we are on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter, and a little bit on YouTube. We don't populate there, but connect with us on social media. Find me personally on social media with blue check marks. Super easy to find, and I would love to hear your feedback and know who you'd like to see on the podcast. Thanks for listening to District of Conservation. Stay tuned for the next episode.